Good morning. Welcome to the well here at STSA, where we are in part two of a series called Pulse Check. And last week, for those who are here, in addition to talking about what it means to be a healthy member of the church, which we'll talk about in a second, I started with a joke, and I wasn't happy with my performance, so I got another joke. <laughs> I wasn't happy with the way things worked out. So once upon a time, there was a preacher, and this preacher was a hardworking preacher, as all preachers are hardworking preachers. My microphone seems like a little loud. Is it a little loud, or is it just me? A little loud? That's okay? Okay. As all hardworking, as all preachers are, he's a hardworking guy, and he just wanted a day off, a Sunday off, and he never gets to take a Sunday off. So he decided on this one particular Sunday, he was going to call in sick, even though he wasn't sick. And before you judge, you do it all the time at your work, so just go easy on me, okay? He decides to call in sick, and he decides to go hunting instead of going to church to preach. While he's out there hunting, okay, as luck would have it, but it probably wasn't luck, okay, because he's skipping work on the Lord's Day, he goes out there and he trips and falls, breaks his leg, and his gun goes flying. So he's out there in the middle of the wilderness with no gun, and he's broken leg, he can't walk, and he's just lying there. And all he starts to pray, because he's a preacher, please God help me. And then all of a sudden, he sees a bear coming. And he says, oh, no. And of course, he thinks it's because he skipped church. So he prays God, please, God, help me. And please, God, help me. And maybe God is sending the bear to help me. So he says to himself, please, God, make this bear a Christian bear. And if it's a Christian bear, it'll see me as a preacher and it'll, it'll save me, okay? So the bear's walking up to the preacher. The bear's walking up to the preacher. And he's sweating. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And he's praying, praying, praying. And all of a sudden, the bear walks up to him and he stops. He looks at him, and he's just kind of staring at him. So the preacher's like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I'm a preacher. I know how to preach. So he started preaching, and he preached his whole Sunday sermon that he was supposed to do that day. He started preaching, and he's preaching, and he's bringing Bible verses, and the bear's looking intently, and the bear's focusing, and they're putting on his little bear glasses, and is taking bear notes, whatever it may be, and the bear's getting into it. So the preacher's like, this is great. Like this is, like, this is a gift from God. I'm doing a fantastic job. But then, like, he says, okay, you know what? I'm going to close this thing. So he brings it home and he says to the bear, let us now bow our heads in prayer. The bear bows his head and all of a sudden he hears the bear say, Lord, thank you for the food which we are about to receive in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah? yeah thank you, thank you, thank you. It ain't easy coming up here and coming up with stuff. Welcome to part two in our series, Pulse Check, where we are talking about what does it mean to be a healthy member of the church, the body of Christ. And what we talked about last week, for those who weren't here, is that being part of the church is more than just a social club. It's more than just we all have common interests. That's why we're here. It's more than just we all vote the same or we all cheer for the same team or we like the morals that it teaches our kids. That's not the church. The church is much greater than that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 22 says this. It says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and listen carefully, members of the household of God. We are members of the household of God, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together, for a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. 
Being part of the church isn't about social club. It's not just, like I said, donuts and coffee on Sunday. It's not because we got nothing better to do. It's not because the weather's nice, that's why we come. It's not because the guy had a good joke, we come. He had a bad joke, that's on him, we're not coming back. That's not the church. The church is much greater than we realize. The church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the household of God. The church is the place, the dwelling place for God. The church is the place, we talked about this last week, the theanthropic. Remember theanthropic, which means that the church, like Christ, is God-man. The church is the fullness of divinity, but in human form. In weak, sinful people like me and you who got all kinds of flaws and all kinds of problems. But when we gather together like this, Christ is in our midst, and it's the fullness of him who cannot be contained in heaven and on earth. And inside the church is the keys to the kingdom of God. And we talked about the price of the church, which Christ paid for, which is his own blood. That's what it means to be part of the church. And just because our eyes don't see it doesn't mean that it isn't a reality. But with that said, with any great honor, finish the sentence, with great honor comes great responsibility. You never seen Spider-Man? Okay, with great honor comes great responsibility. And what we're talking about in this series is, what is my role? If I've been given this, member of the household of God, fullness of him who fills, what's my role? What's my responsibility? Is my responsibility just to show up once a month that I fulfill my responsibility? I've been given the keys to the kingdom. I show up once a month, I'm good. My responsibility is just once a year, probably in December, somewhere around Thanksgiving, I put my check in the thing, my end of year thing, as long as I get my tax statement, okay, I did my, I did my duty. Is my, is my duty just, you know what, be nice to someone every now and then? Uh, uh, my duty is to wear Christian t-shirts, wear, uh, to, I have to post, you know, hashtag blessed or whatever. Like, is that my responsibility? Is that my duty? Or is it more than that to be a member of the household of God? And if you were here last week, we talked about these five vital signs. Okay, just like when you go to the doctor, the doctor checks your vital signs for anything. These are the five vital signs of the Christian life. They are community. They are worship. They are maturity, spiritual maturity, that is, sacrificing and witnessing. These are the five things that, like we said, if you go to the doctor, you say, doctor, you know, I got a problem with my foot. He's like, okay, before we get to your foot, I need to check your vital signs. Check your temperature. Check your blood pressure. Check your heart rate. Check whatever it may be. But I don't got a problem there. I got a problem with my foot. Okay, but this... This, like the foot doesn't really matter if these other things are going on. So if the blood pressure is no good, it doesn't really matter that you got a, 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 toe, a your toenail ingrown, whatever it may be. We got to solve the blood pressure. We got to solve the heart thing. Same thing in the Christian life. These are the five vital signs that at any point in time, at the church level, as well as at the individual level, I need to be able to take a snapshot of my life and see where am I living out community? Because if I'm living in isolation, this was our topic last week, if I'm a lone ranger, if I'm all by myself, I'm not fulfilling the Christian life, I'm in a bad place, I have a bad vital sign, nothing else matters. I gotta get that corrected. And same with all the rest of them, worship, maturity, sacrificing, witnessing. So what we've done with these five vital signs is we've turned them into seven practices, seven habits that we can build into our life. Because you don't know if you have good blood pressure or good heart rate, whatever it may be, but you, like, I don't know how to fix that, but the doctor tells you, do these things, you know, like um, eat more fiber and then you'll, you know, have good heart rate or whatever, okay? Or, you know, make sure you have these vegetables and eat these vitamins and exercise daily and don't swim for 30 minutes after eating. Like, do these things, and if you do these things, you'll be in good shape. We came up 
with the same thing here in the church. We call them the seven markers, seven practices that are preventative care. That if we are investing in these things, we will be in good shape spiritually. Each week in this series, we're going to look at one marker. Last week, we looked at the vital sign of community, and the marker was life group. Raise your hand if you joined a life group and started in a life group. Raise your hand, okay? All right, that's good. That's fantastic. Actually, this year, I was so happy. We have more people who signed up for a life group in this particular series than we ever have in the past. That means y'all did a great job. That means y'all listened last week. That means y'all are investing in community, and that means that God is going to do good things inside you because that area is now going to be healthy. We're going to shift now to the second marker of success, okay, which is based on the, on the, on the vital sign of, commu- of worship, and that is regular time with God. Regular time with God. And I mean, say this, I mean this in an individual sense. Call, some people call this quiet time. Some people call this devotional time. Some people just call it reading the Bible and praying. I don't care what you call it. The important thing is that, that every one of us, if we are going to have a relationship with God, needs to have a regular time, and I'm emphasizing the word regular, not daily, because it should be daily, and hopefully it is daily, but things come up. So I don't want to get legalistic into like the how many times a week. It's not, it's not about that. But it's a matter of I have the habit, just like I have the habit with my wife. I want to love her more. I want to know her more. I got to spend time with her. I can't invest in my relationship. I can't say I want my relationship with my wife to be stronger and I don't spend any time with her. Same thing when it comes to God. I need to have regular time where I'm investing in my relationship with God. And I promise you, nothing will be more directly correlated to your spiritual maturity than this. Nothing will be more directly correlated to your spiritual maturity than the habit of spending regular time with God. Regular time, just me and Jesus one-on-one. I'm not saying today. I'm not saying tomorrow. I'm not saying the week after. What I'm saying over the course of your life, nothing will contribute to your spiritual maturity and growth more than this habit. Now, the problem when it comes to regular time with God, like I said, we define it different ways and people use different words. So what I want to do is I want to break it down because I'm, that's the way I think. I'm a very analytical person. You've seen that about me. So I want to break it down. What do you mean by regular time with God? Because sometimes I hear funny things. Like, you know, I do my quiet time. I do my quiet time uh, in the shower. And I'm like, I don't know what your definition of quiet time is, but it's a little different than mine. Or I do my quiet time as I'm waiting in the dentist office. Or I do my quiet time as I'm doing yoga. And I'm like, that's nice. Like, that's great. That's not what I'm talking about. If I had to try to define what is quiet time, what is regular time with God look like? I'm not against yoga, okay? I'm not saying anything about like that, okay? I've actually benefited very much from it a long time ago with an injury. But my point is to say is that our time with God is more than those things. I'm going to break it down into three things, three items that you need to do, and they are this. These are the three steps that go into your time with God. Number one, you listen. Number two, you meditate. Number three, you respond. Easy. It's about listening. It's about meditating. And it's about responding. One of the three is the hardest. Two of the three are pretty easy. Or at least we understand what they look like. Listening, we kind of get what that looks like. And most of us would have said like, okay, you mean like reading the Bible? I do mean reading the Bible, but I don't like, I don't want to put the word read because you can read and not listen. So the whole point is like, if you read a novel, you read a newspaper, you don't read the Bible as much as you hear, you listen to what God is saying through the Bible. So we know how to listen. We know how to respond. That's us talking. That's us praying. We know these things, but the most important part is the middle piece, because if you don't have the middle piece, 
You can do step one and step three in about 30 seconds. That's easy. And that's a lot of us, that's kind of what we've limited to do, which is we read something real quick, it pops up on our app, they email it to me or they text it to me, I read it and I say, thank you God for this. Or even, I don't even have to actually respond with my thoughts because like the devotional thing gives me something to pray at the end. But that's not what I'm talking about. The key and the hard part is the word meditate, which is in the middle. And I say the word meditate. Some of us, okay, I've said this to people before, some people have like an allergic reaction to the word meditate. Like I say meditate and it's like, ugh, that's not me. Okay, I'm not into that. That's not my gift. Something like that. And I think the reason why we have such an adverse reaction to the word meditate is because we don't, we don't understand what it means. I think we over-spiritualize the word meditate. And we think it means like, like the Tibetan monks, like, you know, stare at a dot for like six hours and just stare at that dot and, and you know, like discover yourself and like, who got time for that every single day? Like, I don't have time for that. And I don't even know if, if I had the time, I don't know if I would be able to do it. Well, if that's what you think meditate is, then I'll tell you, I can't do that either. That's very, that sounds impossible to do. It sounds about the, the, the worst way to spend a, a, a morning with Jesus is to stare at a dot to me. Meditate doesn't mean any of those things. You've made it too spiritual. You've over-spiritualized it. Meditate means to take a thought and to think about it. And think about it again. And then think about it again. And again. And again. And to consider the thought over and over and to have a certain thought looping through your mind. What does that sound a lot like? That sounds a lot like worrying, doesn't it? Isn't that what worrying means? Worrying means that I take a thought and I just keep on thinking about it over and over and over and I keep obsessing about it. Well, I'm telling you that meditate and worry are not that different. The only difference is the subject. Like some of us, let's be honest, we are professional worriers. Like if someone said, I need to hire someone to worry. Oh, that's me. Because I worry about everything. We worry about our health. We worry about our safety. We worry about our career. We worry about our money. We worry about our kids and their health and their safety and their career and their money. We are professional. We worry about things that never, ever happen. We invent things. And some of us, let's be honest, be honest. Don't, don't tell, tell the truth. Some of us, if we have nothing to worry about, we get very worried about that. <laughs> we are professional worriers. That's our comfort zone. That's our happy place. Well, what I'm telling you is meditate and worry are the same thing. The only difference is the subject. Let me show you a verse right here. Luke chapter 2, verse 19 talks about the mother of God, St. Mary. It says that St. Mary kept all these things in her heart. I'm sorry, kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She pondered them in her heart. Do you know what that means, ponder them in her heart? It means she thought about it. And then she thought about it again. And then she's about to start, one more time. And this TV show, one more time. And a phone call, but just a minute. I need to keep on thinking about this. Because this was something valuable. This was something that happened that I just can't just like see it and then move on with my day. She pondered it. She meditated on it. And I'm telling you, that's exactly what worrying is. It's the same thing. Another way of looking at it. The word meditate means, okay, the same word can also be used to describe the word regurgitate. Do you know what regurgitate means? If you're ready to be disgusted, regurgitate is the most disgusting thing on the planet. 
It's an expression in the Bible in the Old Testament. You may hear about animals who chew the cud. Have you heard this expression? Chew the cud. And God says, those animals that chew the cud, put those, because those are disgusting. It means an animal that eats something, chews it, swallows it, and then does what? Brings it back up for more. And chews on it some more, and then swallows it, and it's like, mm, I think I left some nutrients out there on the table. So it brings it back up, and it keeps on doing it over and over and over. Because if it just chewed it, it wouldn't be able to process it the proper way. So chews, swallows, brings it back up. Chews, swallows, brings it back up. And in case you're wondering what this looks like, I got a visual for you right here. Here are two deers, okay, and I want you to watch their mouth and their throats. They're both chewing. Okay, look at the guy on the right. Okay, see he swallowed. Now it's about to, oh, see that came back north. Okay, watch the guy on the left now. Because we're seeing the same thing. He's chewing, chewing, chewing. We're going to see the food is about to go down the pipe. Very good. Now watch. Watch closely. Here it comes. Here it comes. Did we miss it? Here, there it goes right there. That's disgusting. Isn't that disgusting? Now that is a good, albeit disgusting, okay, picture of what I'm saying to do with the Word of God. What I'm saying to do with the Word of God is to read it, chew on it, and as we're about to say, okay, glory be to God and go to work. Wait a minute. Let's bring that one back again. And let's chew on that a little bit more. Okay, that's it. I'm wait, what, one more time. And wait, let me. That's what it means to meditate. It means to chew and re-chew and re-chew and re-chew until you've sucked all the nutrients and the juices that God wants to give you out of it. Biblical basis. One time in Luke chapter 10, we all know the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus went to the home of Mary and Martha, and there's two sisters. One of them was busy serving and preparing lunch and taking care of all the stuff around the house, and then Mary just sat there at Jesus' feet. And on the surface, all of us, okay, most of us would be able to relate a lot more to Martha, doing, 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 doing. And then you got lazy old Mary just sitting there on the ground, okay, doesn't want to do anything, don't want to lift a finger, don't want to help her sister, just sitting there with Jesus at his feet. But Jesus was like, actually, I'm very happy with what Mary is doing right here. And it says this, Luke 10, 39. It says, she had a sister, Martha had a sister called Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. That's the picture of what quiet time is supposed to be like, of our regular time with God. Sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, let me ask you a question. I'm making this stuff up here, but make it up with me. Let's, let's imagine. What do you think this looked like? Like, if you imagine this is a movie, what do you think it looked like? Do you think it was like this, where it's like, okay, Mary sat there, Jesus had a podium and a clicker, okay, and he said, okay, 17 points about the kingdom of heaven. Point A, sub point A, do you think that's what it was? Do you think he had like a, a outline, which is like, okay, I'm going to talk about this, then I'm going to talk about this, and did wake up Mary, and do you think he had planned, like, do you think that's how it went? Because I don't think it's how it went. I think he sat in a chair, and she sat in a chair. She sat in a lower chair, sat at his feet. And I think she would ask him questions like, hey, Jesus, the other day you yelled at the Pharisees. Why do they bug you so much? Why'd you call them a brood of vipers? Doesn't, it seems a little out of character for you. And Jesus would talk to her. And then I think she'd say, okay, okay, um, John the Baptist, he seems a little out there. Tell me about him. What's up with John the Baptist? Jesus, why in the Old Testament David was chosen, not Saul? Why was that? Like, I think it was a, a discussion. I don't think it was a lecture. I think it was a back and a forth. And that's what our quiet time is supposed to be. It's supposed to be us sitting at the feet of God, 
listening to him in his word, and then responding. Say, why did you say that? And he says this. I say, okay, well, how come this? And what are you saying here? It's supposed to be a back and a forth. There's a verse from Genesis chapter 18 where God is speaking to Abraham. And he says, shall I hide, Genesis 18, 17, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. God is saying, it's like, this isn't hide and seek. This isn't like, okay, I want to say something. Okay, guess which hand it's in? Guess wrong. Ha <laughs> ha. That's sometimes how we approach it. Like God has secrets from us. And God's like, I don't have secrets. Like you're my son. You're my daughter. Like I want to tell you stuff. Like what is every dad? I'm a dad. All the dads here. What is every dad's favorite phrase to hear from his children? Tell me more. Tell me more, dad. Tell me that story when. Every dad, like that's what we long for, is our children to come to us and say, dad, tell me about this. Tell me more about this. Answer this question for me. Well, I don't think God is any different. I think what God wants from his children is us to sit there. And when we read, that's what too many of us do. We read something, we're like, okay, thank you so much, God. And we run off to work. God's like, that's it? That, like, there's no more? Because what he wanted is to say like, well, let me give you an example of that. Let me tell you how I think that applies to your life. Let me tell you how your friend is doing the opposite of this and why you need to get rid of her. God wants a back and forth, wants a discussion with his children. And for many of us, that's a missing from, from our lives. Now, I want to talk now about what I believe are the primary benefits of doing regular time with God, but I hesitated before doing this. And the reason why is I don't like to make it transactional. Like if you do this, God will give you this. I'm not, and I'm not saying it that way. But when it comes to this, with our time with God, I truly, truly believe. I could have listed a hundred benefits, a hundred reasons that you should do it. And I came up with three that I truly believe are three things that every single person in this room wants. Every single person in this room wants. And I'm going to put them up there on the screen and you're going to say yes, yes, and yes. I want that, I want that, I want that. I pray for that, I pray for that, I pray for that. I ask people how I can get that, how I can get that, how I can get that. And I believe with all my heart that is a direct correlation between the things I'm going to put up on the screen and your regular time with God. And I think the weakness in our time with God is directly correlated to our weakness in these three areas that I'm going to talk about right now. Number one. Regular time with God is the key to attaining the mind of Christ. It's the key to attaining the mind of Christ. It's the key to us becoming like Christ, which is in theory, the goal of everything that we do. That's why we go to church. That's why we pray. That's why we fast. That's why we give. That's why we volunteer because the goal is to be restored to that image that here's where we were supposed to be and then we kind of fall and the goal is that we get back there. If you look at the difference between you and Christ, I will bet you that if you are like me, the area of the greatest difference is not the actions. It's the mind. It's the view. It's the perspective. And that's where we, if we want to be transformed, we need to be transformed in our mind first and foremost. What I mean by that is we need to transform the things in our mind that are anxiety, that are fear, that are judgment, that are resent that are bitterness, that are impurity, that are greed. Like these are the areas. If we can transform these areas and have them like Christ in those areas, then our life will be look completely different. Because you know this, that every action that you do in life comes from a thought. 
comes from a belief. Every action started with a thought. A what if, or how come, or why shouldn't. And if we can change our thoughts, then I promise you, change your thoughts, your life will follow. Your thoughts are the autopilot of your life. An airplane that has an autopilot that's set to, you know, 22 coordinates, you know, northeast or whatever it may be. And the pilot's like, but I want to go over there. I want to go over there. I want to go over there. He can turn. He can turn. What's going to happen the second he lets go? He's going to go back over here. And he's going to push. And he's going to push to try to get the plane over here. And then he's going to have to sneeze and get a tissue. And the plane's going to go back over here. That's the way our thoughts are. So the easiest way to get my life to go over here is make my thoughts go over here. And I'm telling you, the key to having our thoughts like Christ is the word of God. That's not what I'm saying. It's what St. Paul said in Romans 12 too. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The way we transform our lives is by transform our mind. Change your life by changing your thinking. How do I change my thinking? Word of God. Word of God changes the way I think. And for some of us, we got a lot of junk that comes into our mind. The stuff we read, the stuff we watch, the stuff we listen to, and that stuff is pollution. And that stuff is pushing my mind in the wrong direction. What we need is the word of God to push my mind back in the right direction. I've, heard, I've given you guys this example before, so you've probably heard this. Is that if I have a big bucket up here, a big bucket, a big huge bucket, full of dirty, nasty, stanky water, gross water, like the stuff that the camel was chewing and spit, like that stuff, it's like full of that kind of water. And I say, this water is disgusting and I want to purify the water. I want to get all the junk out. How am I going to do it? Well, maybe what I can do is pick up the bucket and turn it over on its side. And if I pick up the bucket and flip it over, but that takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort and I'm not strong enough to do it. So I need to come up with another way. What's an easier way to do it? If every day I take a rock, the, water, the bucket is filled to the brim with dirt and disgusting, but every day I take a rock and I throw it in the bucket. What's going to happen when I throw that rock, at, rock in the bucket? A little water going to splash out. And then next day I'm going to throw another rock in. What's going to happen? A little more water going to splash out. And then the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day. See, our problem is we're not patient. But if we're patient and we're committed and regular time with God, regular time with God, regular time in the Word of God, regular time in the Word of God, regular time meditating on the Scriptures, regular time, then I promise you, I promise you that it's just a matter of time before some of those bad things get pushed out and the good comes in. We need to make the Word of God what influences our mind, not the garbage that's out there in the world. So that's number one. You want the mind of Christ? Word of God is the key. Number two, I think the Word of God is also the key to aligning with the will of God. Aligning with the will of God. All of us have experienced a situation where we've prayed and we've asked God for something and we've gotten no results. Every single one of us. And that's a frustrating experience in and of itself. But what makes it more frustrating is that you know there's all these verses and someone will quote it to you at just the worst possible time about how God answers prayers and God answers prayers. And you're like, okay, but God answers prayers, but I prayed and I got nothing. And that's a very frustrating thing. And then if you look a little bit closer, there's like a fine print with all those promises. You know what the fine print says? That your prayers have to be according to the will of God, the will of God, the will of God. How do I get my prayers to be with the will of God so that I can get my prayers answered? Well, the answer is the word of God. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. We like the second half. Ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. But the second half is contingent upon the first half. That my words abide in you. 
The relationship between the word of God and prayers being answered, let me make, draw you a picture right here. How often, okay, again, as me as a dad, if you're a dad, this probably happens to you too, probably happens to moms, but happens, happens to me all the time, is that my kids want something from me, especially when they were younger, and then they knock on the office, let's say I'm in my office, they knock on the office and say, dad, I want this. And usually my response is what? Not no right away, okay? Thank you very much, you think very lowly of me, okay? Not no right away, but it's usually, okay, well, I want you to do this. Dad, I want to go here. Okay, clean your room. Dad, I want to uh, have this. Okay, study your homework. Okay, dad, I want to go to this college. Get a scholarship. What does that have to do with me? Like, what do I care? Like, they come to me, dad, I want, and my response is, well, son, I want. Daughter, I want. And I think the same exists between us and God. That's why the word of God is so critical. Dad, I want. He's like, okay. I want healing in my marriage. He's like, okay, well, I want you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. I want you to submit to your husband as the church does to Christ. I want healing, but I don't want to do that. Okay, well, that, like, that's, that's the thing. Do you want the thing? Well, I'll give you the thing. Like, that's the way it works. Oh, God, I want a blessing in my, in my career. Okay, but are you, you just want greedy for yourself? Because when you give, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So I want you to give. And then I give you the blessing. But if you don't want to do, then what? Do you see how this works? The key to receiving our prayers being answered is praying according to the will of God. Well, where's the will of God found? In his word. Forgive me, but some of us, we are praying. Okay, the whole point of praying by the will of God means that God puts inside me his will so that I want what he wants. So I want for the world what God wants for the world. I want for myself what God wants for me. Forgive me. Some of us, when we stand up to pray, we are praying. Not, not only are we not praying what God wants, we are praying in direct opposition to what God wants. We stand up and we pray for the things that Christ is in the room next door, praying the exact opposite. We are praying that God give me this and give me this and give me this. And Christ is there praying, God, don't give him that because that's going to ruin him. That's going to destroy his life. And now we are fighting with Christ in our prayers. We are fighting with Christ in our prayers. That can't be. That's not a fight you're going to win. The key? Praying on this side. And what's this side? That's the will of God. Where is it found? In the word of God. Word of God is critical. Regular time with God is critical to attain the mind of Christ. Number two, to achieving, to attaining the will of God, which leads to all the prayers that we want answered. And then the third one, I'm going to put this up on the screen. This is not just one of those empty promises, but this is, this is the truth. The word of God, our time with God, is the key to achieving success and prosperity. You say, hey, wait a minute, Father Anthony. You're saying, read the word of God, success and prosperity. So like I just read the Bible and all of a sudden I'm promoted up the ranks, CEO of Amazon before I know it. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, this book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. That part, okay, do this, meditate on this, keep the book of law in your mouth. What's going to happen? For then, you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. I ain't saying you're going to be the CEO of your company. 
And I'm not saying you're going to be the richest person on the planet. That's not what I'm talking about. This actually goes back to what I said a minute ago of aligning with the will of God because that's not the will of God. That's not the will of God is that you would be the richest person on the planet. That's your will. But the more time I spend in the, will, in, in the word, the more he changes my will to match his will. And I believe, according to what this says, the word of God changes us to view different measures of success and prosperity. Like, let me say it this way. I heard it said nice one time. When we are in the word of God regularly, again, I'm not just saying read the Bible today and everything gets solved, but I'm talking about regular, consistent. It changes from God, please bless, and then fill in the blank. Please, God, bless this relationship. Please, God, bless this job. Please, God, bless whatever this may be. It changes from please, God, bless this to please, God, show me what you want to bless. Show me the relationship that you want to bless. If you're not married. Okay, if you're married, that's what he wants to bless. Okay. But it's not please, God, bless my, my, my dating with this girl, with this boy. It's please, God, show me which relationship is the one that you want to bless. I'm going to choose that one. Show me the career path that you want to bless, and then I'm going to choose that one. You see the difference? It's not me telling God, my will, my this, my this, you bless. It's me saying, God, you show me the path of blessing. Oh, the path of blessing is here? I'll take it. The path of blessing is to give? Oh, I'll take it. The path of blessing is to serve? I'll take it. The path of blessing is unselfish? I'll take it. Word of God. Time in our word of God. Regular time with God. Listening, meditating, meditating again, chewing a little more, bring it back up with the juice, get it all out, and then respond in prayer. Now, what I want to do for the final few minutes here together is I told you what regular time with God looks like, and I told you why it's important. But maybe the question that some of you might be asking is how? How do I do it? I'll tell you a story. True story, but change the names to protect the lives of the innocent. Once upon a time, there was a young man named John. John was a young Christian man who walked with the Lord for, you know, however many years, but he found himself stagnant in his relationship with God. He found himself that, you know, like he's just, he's not able to hear God's voice the way he used to. Like things aren't the same. So he came up with an idea he said, I'm going to go to a monastery and spend time in the monastery as like a personal retreat. And while I'm there, I'm going to ask one of the older monks to disciple me. And hopefully this can revitalize my spiritual life. He gets to the monastery and he tells them his story. And they say, okay, you will be assigned a monk. And that monk will be like your spiritual father for the time that you're here. And he will disciple you. So he goes and then, you know, he's sitting in the waiting room or whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden he sees this monk coming and the monk is coming for him. And the second he sees the monk, he's disappointed. Because the monk was young. The monk didn't have any gray. You know, the gray is where all the wisdom is, okay? The, the monk actually, the monk was like wearing sneakers, okay? And he's like, ah, oh, I got like the rookie guy, like the trainee guy. Like I wanted like the old, like the spiritual is the one with the bad back, you know, the spectacles, the kind of, like he wanted one of those monks who could say like, you know, back in the, in the early 1900s, like he wanted one of those guys. So he's automatically, he's disappointed. And this young monk tells him, okay, your first assignment, I want you to meditate on the gospel of the Annunciation. Okay, the story when Archangel Gabriel came to Virgin Mary and said that you're going to bear a child, Luke chapter 1. I want you to meditate on that gospel and tomorrow morning, share with me 
what you learned. So he says, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, like I've done this a hundred times. Like I taught Sunday school, I've given lessons, I know the passage inside and out. Like this is simple. And he goes back and he gets out his notebook and his cross references and, you know, like the Greek and the Hebrew and then, then, and he's breaking it down. He's got his, you know, 15 point outline right here and he's got examples, maybe threw a little joking at the beginning in or whatever, maybe because that's what the, whatever it may be. And he's got himself prepared and he's excited to go back to the monk and he tells the monk everything that he learned. He makes his presentation and the monk is not impressed. And the monk tells him, what was your aim in reading? And the guy's, John's like, what do you mean? He's like, what was your goal? What were you trying to accomplish? He said, I was trying to understand the passage, what it says. And the monk said to him, there's more to the scripture than just finding out what it says. I want you to find out what it means. Go back and do it again. He goes back. He's very confused, as many of you are right now. He's a little annoyed at this young rookie monk not liking his little presentation, but he says, give it a try. He goes back. He reads the passage again. He reads it like a hundred times. He memorizes verses. He's like, I don't know what the guy is telling me to do. He comes back to the monk. He's like, I don't get it. I read it a thousand times. I know what it says. I think I know what it means. Like, I don't get it. And the monk tells him, do the following. I want you to go back a third time. And I want you to read one verse. And then I want you to say a prayer. And then read the next verse. And stop and say another prayer. And he told him to go through the whole passage. Verse, prayer. Verse, prayer. So John did that. And as he's reading the story, when he got to the verse where St. Mary says to the angel, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. He lifted up his eyes to pray after reading that, and it clicked. It hit him. He's like, wait a minute. I'm not reading Mary's story. It's actually my story. Because John had been called to a new position in life, being called to priesthood. But he wasn't sure if it was for him or not. He's kind of scared. And the second he read that, and then he prayed, he realized, this is God calling, this isn't God calling St. Mary. This is God calling me. And I'm supposed to say, let it be to me according to your word. And it clicked. Then all of a sudden he's like, but wait a minute, I'm scared. I don't know if I can accept that. Then he read, looked down, and all of a sudden he saw in the passage, when Virgin Mary, when she received the news, she's like, but how can this be? Because I do not know a man. So he's like, that's me. And he prayed. And he's saying, this isn't St. Mary saying, I don't know if I can do this. This is me saying, God, I don't know if I can do this. And then he looked down at the passage again. And the story ends with the angel saying, highly favored one, you have found favor with God. And the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. So he said, this is not Mary's story. This is my story. And he broke down in tears. And what he realized, the Bible isn't someone else's story. The Bible is my story. And every time I open it up, my life is unfolding in front of my eyes. But the problem is, as long as you're just reading it, you'll never see it. He didn't see it in the reading. It wasn't until the meditating. It wasn't until the praying, the back and the forth, the back and the forth, that it clicked with him that this was his life. And I invite you to the same journey.
We need to stop asking, what does this say? And start asking, what does this mean? And when we say, what does this mean? It means, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me today? What does this mean for me right now? How does God want me to apply this? We're going for depth, not breadth. We're going not for general, we're going for personal. You know there's some people out there, okay? There's some people, maybe you've seen this, maybe you are this, I gotta admit, I am this, okay? Some people who watch a movie, you know the people who watch the movie or the show and they think they're in it, so they're like yelling, okay? Like, watch out! Like, don't go in that room! Like, you know those people? I gotta be honest, I'm that way not with movies, but with sports. Okay, now I'm even, my wife even thinks I'm really dumb because I'm watching a game like six hours later on DVR. So I'm like, don't throw there, don't throw there, go there, call time. And I'm like screaming, like as, if, like my, as if my voice has any impact on the game, but in my mind it does. Well, that's how we have to be with the Bible. Like I want us to realize that, that we're in it and we're like, no, what does that mean? Don't go over there. How could this be? Why are you saying this? We need to see that the Bible is an autobiographical book. The Bible is an autobiographical book, which means it's the biography of who? Of me. It's my story, and it's your story, and I'm in it. And we need to interact with it as such, not just read it like the newspaper. Interact with it. So I read the story of Abraham, and when God called him to, to, to sacrifice his son Isaac. And I'm not reading that as Abraham's story, but I'm just like, that's my story. God, what are you calling me to sacrifice? What big thing are you asking me to do that? I'm like, I don't know if I can do it. That's not his story. That's my story. You read the story of Noah and God's like, Noah, I need you to go against the world. Do the opposite of what the world is telling you and build a dumb ark in the middle of a desert. And I'm not like, Noah, it's not Noah, it's me. God, where are you calling me to be against the world and to go against the way society, like, where are you calling me? I read the disciples and the disciples like mess up after mess up after mess up. But what I'm seeing there is my mess up and the grace that Jesus shows them and the way he calms their fears and the way he builds them up. It's not their story. It's my story and it's your story. And we need to approach it as such. I'll give you a nice quote right here from a saint in the eighth century called St. John of Dalitha. He says this, talking about reading the Bible. And he says so beautifully. Hold him in your arms, like Mary, his mother. Enter with the Magi and offer your gifts. Proclaim his birth with the shepherds. Proclaim his praise with the angels. Carry him in your arms like Simeon the elder. Take him with Joseph down to Egypt. When he goes to play with little children, steal him up and kiss him. How beautiful is that? Sit with him in the temple and listen to the words coming from his mouth while the astonished teachers listen. When he asks, when he answers, listen and marvel that is wisdom. You see how that is? Isn't that beautiful? You don't just read it on the metro. Like in between the shower and the brush the teeth. It didn't, it's like, what's... This is my time with Jesus. This is my time to read his word and respond and a discussion and a back and forth. This is where he changed me. Think of it like, like uh, if you like to drink tea. Okay, you know, the, 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 the instructions on the back, okay, I read the instructions for everything. So it says steep for three minutes, so three to five minutes. Okay, steep, like steep. That's, you know what that means? It means if I take that cup of water and I take the tea bag and I'm like, dip, and I'm done. Be like, oh, that tea stinks. That tea barely made a difference. So we think the same way with the Bible, with our quiet time. I did it for a whole three minutes. Nothing happened. I read it. That was there. I read it. Nothing happened. 
Uh, Father Anthony, I've been reading this every day. Okay, like I said, I read it on the metro between uh, uh, the, the, the East Falls Church and West Falls Church. Every day I read it. Okay, in that, that time, and it doesn't make any difference. What are you talking about? Nah, man, steep, steep, steep. And you know, you know the way you're supposed to steep, right? Like my wife, you put the plate on top, the upside down plate, right? Like you put the plate upside down, like steep, keep that bad boy in there. And if you do that, steep, steep, take your time, be patient, steep, cover it, protect it. Then when you open it up, ah, pumpkin spice. <laughs> Some of us, that ain't gonna change your life. You know what? Truth, that is a waste of your time. For those who say that's a waste of time, I, truth, I'm not, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but it is. That is a waste of your time. That ain't gonna change you. That ain't gonna make you any different. Our homework this week is to commit to spending. Okay, I came up with a number, and I always hesitate with the number because again, it's not the legalistic. And I also hesitate because if you are already past this number, this is not like, hey, yeah, go back to this. But I want to say the number of minutes that I want you to set aside five days this week, not seven, I'll give you five. You can do seven, you're a superstar. Five days this week, 12 minutes a day. 12 minutes a day. And I chose that number for a reason. 12 minutes a day. If you add up 12 minutes a day for the rest of this week, five days a week, that's going to cost you an hour. We waste more than an hour on the dumbest things, okay? That's like not even a quarter of how we spend on YouTube just recommended videos. 12 minutes a day. And the reason why I said 12 minutes is that way you can organize yourself because I asked you to listen, I asked you to meditate, and I asked you to respond in prayer. That's why I give you four, four, and four. Organized. I actually think, okay, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but I, I actually think Setting a timer for 12 minutes would be a very helpful thing for some people. If you got your routine, don't listen to anything I'm saying. So if you got your regular time with God, ignore everything I'm saying. Okay, just, you know, count the tiles in the ceiling or whatever it may be just until I finish this right now. I think setting a timer would be helpful. You know why? Because if you don't, then what's going to happen, especially if there's not a consistent habit, if I tell you, go get quality in your Bible tomorrow, you're going to be done in a minute or two minutes or three minutes. But if I tell you, set a timer, don't stop till it's done, then you will find a way. You'll sit there and you will keep going until the timer rings. And I promise you, it may not seem like a big difference, but I promise you that that may be the beginning, that may be the start of a great transformation that God wants to do in your life. Because in the end, the mindset that we approach the word of God has to be this, that we aren't just reading words, we are seeking the word through words. The words are simply a conduit, a means to the word of God. Last thing I want to say, one of my favorite stories in the entire scripture, favorite stories. In the Old Testament, there's a story of how God sent manna from heaven. You've heard this before, right? The Israelites were in the wilderness, they had no food, Every day, God would send them a supply of manna, which was like the food of angels. And he would bring it down. They would go collect it. They would eat it. And then the next day, he would do the same thing. And the scripture says that anyone who tried to save food from today to tomorrow, the food spoiled. You had to get it that day. 
Now I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm an efficient guy. I like to think on a mass scale. I like to think reproducible. This is a very inefficient system. Especially like God, like you're God. You could have come up with something better than this. Like every day, why I got to get up every day and go out there and collect the bread? Like why not like once a week delivery? Like the original Amazon Prime Day. Like a God could have discovered that thing, okay? So it's like every Saturday, it comes out and that way you can rest for the fall. Like why is it every single day? Answer? Because that's how God likes to feed us. And did you know that the spiritual bread every single day, you wake up in the morning, God has a meal for you every single day. And it's bread just for that day. Just for that day. Bread just for that day that isn't going to work tomorrow and it wouldn't have worked yesterday, but it's just for that day. Because God knows that today, you, he knows the challenges you're going to face. He says, oh, you know, my son this day is going to need some extra wisdom. Let me put some extra wisdom on that plate today. I'll give some extra wisdom. Oh, my daughter over here, she's going to have it tough at work. She's going to need extra patience. So I'm going to put an extra scoop of patience in that thing. So that way, when she has the meal, she's going to receive that patience. He's going to receive that wisdom. They're going to receive that love or whatever it may be. And he has a special customized meal made just for us. And then we wake up in the morning. We hit the snooze button and we go to work. And we're like, God, where are you, God? You never hear my prayers. You leave me here. You never give me wisdom. You don't give me patience. And God's like, really? Is it that I don't give? Or is that you didn't collect? Is it that I'm not there? Or you rushed off real quick before you had a chance to eat a good solid breakfast? We aren't just reading words. We're seeking the word of God through words. And as I said, there's no habit that will directly contribute to your spiritual maturity 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, if you want to be one of those people that can look back and say how God was there for you in life and how God, what you are committed to God, I promise you, this habit, 12 minutes a day doesn't seem like much, but maybe it's the beginning of a habit that will transform the rest of your life. All right, let's stand up together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us alone by ourselves, but every day you have a custom daily bread meal for us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us whatever we need to be able to, to take that meal and to get up early if we need to, to commit to being there, to be disciplined, to keeping our phones away or whatever it takes for those 12 minutes a day so that we can truly be fed with the food of angels from your hand. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints, hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 